Please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. We've been in a series on the book of Exodus, which we complete today uh, with this sermon. And uh, next Sunday we have our special program, and I hope you don't miss that one with Cleve McClary. Uh, this is going to be a real high point in our church here. And then following that, we'll start a topical series uh, that will follow up on the series we did last summer, Coping, Coping with Our Emotions. This will be Coping too, as we talk about how do you cope with uh, fear, how do you cope with anger, etc., loneliness, and these types of things. Uh, so uh, uh, we'll be starting that uh, Sunday week. Here in this portion of Exodus, chapter 32, we have one of the pivotal and memorable events in the Old Testament. God had given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and uh, he had given it with appropriate scenery, the quaking of the mountain, the smoke like a furnace, the trumpet that grew louder and louder, the lightning, the earthquake, all to impress with his holiness and the seriousness of obedience to him. And the people had said, all that he commands, we will do. But there's always a period of testing, isn't it? When we say we'll do something, then God will put us to the test. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's up there 40 days and 40 nights following uh, the reception of the Ten Commandments. And uh, the people began to be restless. Forty in Scripture is... A symbolic number, it speaks of testing. You find that Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, uh, being tested and tempted. You find that the children of Israel had to wander 40 years in the wilderness. And he's 40 days there in the mountain. Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, they gathered themselves together unto Aaron. And said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. They fail the test. Uh, they become anxious, and uh, they want Aaron to make them a god who would go before them. Now, this, of course, was forbidden by the first and second commandment that they had just said they would obey. We are to have no other gods before him. We are not to make any graven image or any likeness or any of anything and bow down ourselves to it and worship it. They were not intending, I don't think, to not follow the Lord, but they wanted the Lord represented under a visible image. You know, it's a tough worshiping an invisible God. Let's have something that we can see and handle and uh, carry with us, and that'll give us security. And uh, they, they want a visible representation of God. When uh, they declare a feast, when Aaron declares a feast, it's a feast to the Lord in accompaniment with uh, this calf. Well, Aaron says to them in verse 2, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons, and bring them to me. And uh, verse 4, He received them at their hand, and fashioned with it a graving tool, 
fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made a golden calf. Made it a golden calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Here's a visible representation of the Lord who brought you up. And uh, then they have a feast of dedication. Verse 5, When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation, said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. This play was immoral and debauchery. You find uh, that they're playing naked and uh, certainly not in any way in accord with the Lord's will and his commands. All of this a violation of his commands. Now, don't remove this from yourself when you read of their idolatry. In the New Testament, Paul says, Neither be ye idolaters as some of them were. Now, the danger of us doing the same thing. In Stephen's speech in Acts 7, as he recounts the history of the nation, he refers to this event and says, They thrust God from them and turned back to Egypt in their hearts. False gods take many forms. You can make a false god of someone or of some goal, uh, of many different things. What's your security? What do you put your trust in? Is your security a bank account or a job or a talent? You could lose that overnight. Uh, is your security uh, in a person? God must be our security. He is what we must, He is the one whom we must trust in. Uh, some of us don't obey God because we can't bear to part with our security. Uh, maybe it's a relationship with a person that's wrong, but that's your security. Or we can worship the golden calf when we do what the New Testament calls making a god of our belly. When we make uh, our pleasures or the good life our god. And so uh, we do things to obtain the good life uh, that God has forbidden us not to do. Are we not able to give to spread the gospel because we've made a God of our belly? We are guilty of idolatry ourselves. God observes their idolatry and he remarks about it to Moses. Verse 7, The Lord said to Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and have said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Well, uh, he observes their action. Uh, just why they did this, uh, what their fears and motives were, where they failed the test, we don't know all of uh, their motivations. What is causing them to act in this way? I heard a story about the three men who were hunting in Canada, and they they saw a small cabin in the wilderness there, and they were cold, and uh, they thought they'd go in and see if they could warm up. There was no one there, but the doors opened. They went in, and they saw a strange sight. There was a pot-bellied stove, but it was suspended about midair from the ceiling. Uh, one of these. Uh, Hunters was a uh, was a engineer. He said, "You know, I think I know why the trapper whose cabin this is did that. 
It probably has to do with the universal uh, heating here and the convection of air. That's probably the best way to heat this little cabin, to get up there in midair. Another was a psychologist. He said, I doubt if that's it. Uh, you know, he gets lonely out here by himself. He probably put it up there in midair and he curls up under it and kind of feels like it's his mother or something, you know. The third was a theologian. He said, no, you know, fire has always been uh, an element that's used in religious worship. I, I suspect it has a religious significance. About that time, the trapper came home and they all asked him, why did you hang your pot-bellied stove in midair? He said, well, I had a lot of wire and not much stovepipe. <laughs> uh, we don't know why people do what they do sometimes, what their real motives are, but notice underlying at the root cause of what they had done. In verse 9, the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. The root cause was rebellion against God. Uh, in uh, Deuteronomy thirty-one twenty-seven, I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Or Second Chronicles 30, verse 8. Be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. They were going to do their own will, even though they knew it was against God's will. Some of us are that way, too. We want what we want. We know it's not God's will that we divorce our wife or that we do this or that we do that. But we want what we want. And so we do it. Rebellion. At this point, God gives a prohibition to Moses. He says, don't do something, Moses. Don't interfere with me. In verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them. Moses, don't interfere with me. I'm going to destroy this people. And then he has a proposition. And I will make of thee a great nation. Moses will start over. This is a stick-necked, rebellious people. They've been rebellious all along. We'll destroy them. I'll destroy them and start over with you. Build a nation from you. Moses doesn't even entertain the idea. But Moses intercedes for the people. Moses reads in the prohibition an invitation. Let me alone. The implication is, if you don't let me alone, I won't be able to let my wrath burn against this people. You'll interfere with my destroying them. He reads in the prohibition an invitation to intercede. And he does exactly that. In verse 11, Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Earlier God had said, Moses, your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And he says, Lord, they're your people. Now, it's important that we learn to pray. And one of the great ways to learn to pray is to study the prayers in Scripture. How did Moses pray? Moses was successful here in his prayer. I want to be successful. Moses did a tremendous thing here with tremendous results. Notice 
how he prays, how he argues his case. In the book of Job, Job says, I will order my cause before the Lord. I will fill my mouth with arguments. Well, let's see how Moses orders his cause and what arguments he fills his mouth with. First, he argues the relationship of that people to the Lord. He said, Lord, these are your people. You're in a covenant relation with these people. Think about that, God. These are your people. And when we pray, one of the great things we can say is, God, this is your church. God, these are your people. Lord, uh, heal. Lord, bestow. Lord, empower. Lord, give wisdom. These are your people. Argue our cause like that. And then he argues like this. Verse 12. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Lord, if you wipe them out, the heathen are going to say that you are that kind of God. It's going to hurt your reputation. They're not going to understand that you did it because of their sin. They're going to think that you did it because you are a changeful God. And you are malevolent. You, uh, part of your nature is just uh, cruel. You brought them out just to do this to them. That's what they'll say. And so you'll hurt your great name. Why should God care about his reputation among the heathen? Because God wants men to come to a true knowledge of the true God. God is seeking a people for himself in this world. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith. But if they don't understand who he is, that he is the true God and what he's like, that he's a God of love, he's also a holy God and a righteous God and a God of justice, but he is a loving God. If men don't understand that, they're not going to turn to him. God is concerned about his great name. He showed in the whole deliverance from Egypt that he was the true God and that the false gods of Egypt couldn't do anything. And he got a reputation for himself. Now he is going to destroy that reputation, says Moses. He argues the cause of God in the world. God, we can argue that cause. Uh, Spurgeon, in commenting on this, said he can, he can envision George Mueller. I hope you've read Mueller's biography. George Mueller lived in the last century and he had a burden to convince the world that God was real. And he didn't know how to go about it. And he got the idea, if, if I could start an orphanage and run it with my only means of income, prayer, that would prove to the world that God is there and that he is real, that you can have dealings with him, that he hears and answers prayer. So Mueller started his orphanage. And in time, he, he went along step by step. In time, it looked like Samford University. He had 2,000 orphans in his orphanage that he was responsible to feed every day. And his only means of income, prayer. And Spurgeon said, I can well imagine Mueller at some point where there's real tightness financially and he's in want. I can imagine him going before God and saying, God, I have told the world that you are real and that you hear and answer prayer. 
and that I belong to you, and that you've led me in these things as you have. Now, God, your cause is at stake in the world. That would be an argument that he could well fill his mouth with and order his cause before the Lord with. And we can do the same with our missions program, with our building program, with any cause that we undertake that he's led us into. Uh, we can argue the same way. Um, <clears throat> and again, in uh, verse 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. God, you promised Abraham, Isaac, and so on, uh, Israel, Jacob. Again, when we come to order our cause, we want to put our finger on his promise. God, I'm having trouble financially. You promised that if I would seek you first and your kingdom, that all these things would be added. I didn't need to be anxious what I would eat, what I would wear. You could argue that. You can quote his promise. Uh, Lord, you promised wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraid is not, and it will be given. God, I need wisdom. I asked you to fulfill your promise. We can claim the promises. We can quote his promises. We, we speak, as we order our cause, we point to his people and his covenant relation. We point to his cause in the world, his great name's sake. We point to his promises to us. Thus we order our cause, just as Moses did. And we have a powerful argument. Notice the effect with God. Verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now, God didn't change his plan, and God doesn't change his mind. Known unto God are all of his works from the beginning of the creation, Ephesians 1.14. He has his plan that he's running the world by. He doesn't change the plan. But he changed his actions in answer to Moses' prayer. Part of the plan was that Moses would be moved to pray and would intercede and would not let God's wrath burn. And God would answer Moses' prayer and not destroy this people. Uh, boy, what a tremendous thing. A whole nation preserved here through the intercession of one man. God in his sovereignty has made prayer a wonderfully powerful means by which we may interact with God and shape the course of history. Just as Moses shaped the course of history here. Later on, what Moses did here is referred to as standing in the gap or making up the hedge or the breach. Over in the 106th Psalm, uh, in verse 19 of Psalm 106, the psalmist is recounting the history. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory... God's glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous things in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. 
had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy him. Stood before him in the breach. When God was going to send Judah, the nation, the southern kingdom, into captivity in Babylon, he makes this remark to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 22. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them, says God, that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way I have recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. I sought for a man among them who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, but I found none. Matthew Henry comments on that verse. He says, note, sin makes a gap in the hedge of protection about a people or an individual. In that gap, good things run out from them and evil things run in to them. A gap by which God enters to destroy them. Notice, second, there is a way of standing in the gap and making up that breach. It's done by repentance and prayer and reformation. Third, when God is coming forth against a people for their sin to destroy them, he expects some to intercede, to stand in the gap. And he inquires if there be but one that does. So much it is his desire and delight to show mercy. And if there be but a man that stands in the gap, as Abraham did for Sodom, as Moses did for Israel, he will be pleased with him. Hmm. What are we doing in terms of prayer? Are there any gaps in the hedge of our nation? What do you think? Any gaps in the hedge of our community or our city, your family? What are we doing? Are we standing in the gap? Are we interceding? How serious are we about that? We can affect the course of the history of our family, or the history of our city, or the history of our nation, of the world, through intercession. How much time are we spending pleading with God about these things? Well, are we filling our mouths with arguments and ordering our cause? Moses intercedes with God, but he expresses his indignation to the people. He's outraged. And uh, verse 15, Moses turned, went down from the mountain. He has the two tables uh, that the Ten Commandments are written on in his hands. And it says God had written these. And uh, verse 19, it came to pass, as soon as he came down to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. He's angry and he's indignant. 
and he's demonstrating what they've done. They've broken the covenant. He breaks these tablets of stone. And uh, then he takes the calf, verse 20, which they'd made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Then he confronts Aaron, his brother. What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? You brought it on them. Wait a minute, I didn't bring it on them. I, they brought it on them. I Supreme Court could say easily, well, well, we didn't. I mean, the people wanted to commit abortions. We're not responsible for all these abortions in the land. Are leaders responsible when they permit people to sin? God says they are. What did you, what did this people unto you that you brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, they're set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, we don't know what has become of him. And I said unto them, Well, anybody got gold, let them break it off. And they gave it to me. And I cast it in the fire, and out came this calf. Hmm. That's called deceit. That's called passing the buck. He wants to place the blame on someone else, something else. Maxie Dunham, in his commentary on Exodus, says, This is the witchery of deception, and it is the root problem in many of our lives. He quotes Bruce Larson, who tells of going to Ontario, visiting a halfway house where people went for emotional problems and mental problems and... There was a room where they would gather to have group discussions and confession and whatever. And over the fireplace, there was a sign. The sign said, Do you want to be right or well? As far as the director of that halfway house was concerned, a lot of the emotional and mental problems of people are caused by their desire to justify themselves rather than to face the music. Do you want to be right? Do you want to vindicate yourself? Or do you want to confess what you've done is wrong and get right with God and be made well? That's the issue. Then he kills the leaders at God's instruction. Verse 25. When Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. The, the Hebrew says, Who is on the Lord's side? To me! He calls for open identification. Those who line up with the Lord. There's a great battle in this world. And there are two camps. And God says, You openly identify yourself. You confess me before the world. And I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And if you don't confess me before the world, I will not confess you before my Father in heaven. He calls for open identification and consecration, putting him ahead of everyone else and everything else. And Moses said, uh, verse 29, excuse me, uh, verse 27. All the, when he says, all, who's on the Lord's side? All the sons of Levi gathered themselves. And he said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, slay every man his brother. 
and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did, according to the word of Moses, there fell that day three thousand men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that God may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Go and kill the ringleaders, those who are still persisting. If it's your brother, kill him. If it's your son, kill him. Hmm. God says, you put me ahead of everyone else. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him hate his father, mother, sister, brother, he in his own life also. I must be out front of everyone else. I must be first, everyone else second. Open identification, consecration. Then there's further intercession by Moses as he goes back up into the mountain. In verse 30, uh, came to pass on the morrow, Moses said unto the people, You've sinned a great sin. I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. He's conscious that something needs to, to be done to offset this awful sin. Maybe he can do it. Verse 31, Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, oh, God forgive. God, I know it's, I know you can't overlook sin. Maybe this, God, God, if somebody has to suffer for this sin, would you let it be me? If thou wilt forgive their sin, if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. God, uh, punish me instead of them. Take my name out of your book of eternal life. What a Christ-like prayer. This people had rebelled against him and mistreated him, and he offers himself on their behalf. God didn't accept that offer, but he did accept a similar offer on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, if you can forgive, son, I can't forgive sin. Sin must be punished. I can't overlook the law, but you could go and, and you could offer yourself as a substitute for man. Would you do that, son? Father, I will do that. This commandment I received of my Father, that I lay down the li my life for the sheep. God the Son did this. God the Father gave His Son. God did it so that He could be just when He justifies us. The Scripture says, God gave His Son that He might be just when He justifies those who believe in Jesus. Christ paid for our sins, but we're not forgiven until we surrender our will to Him and put our trust in Him. And then we are forgiven as He made atonement. Now, verse 33, The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out. I, I will renew your commission. Now therefore go, lead this people into the place of which I have spoken unto thee. I will renew your commission, but I, on judgment day, will deal with their sin ultimately. The only way to escape that is through faith in Jesus Christ. How much we're indebted to Christ. He did make atonement. We have a picture of it here on Moses' offer. 
and He intercedes for us. What a challenge to us to intercede for our families, for our city, for our nation, to fill our mouths with arguments and to stand in the gap. We need to be gap men and gap women. What are you doing in terms of prayer? Are you joining hands and hearts with others? What about our early morning prayer meeting, Wednesday morning, or Saturday meetings, or other meetings? Are you part of that? Uh, have you gotten lax on that? What about your personal prayer? What about your family prayer? How crucial this is. We can shape the course of history through prayer. Maybe God's saying, I looked for a man and I found none. Hmm. What a challenge to put away our idols. There's some idol that we've got, you've got, I've got. We made a god of our belly. Hmm. For non-Christians, it's a challenge to receive Christ. You see, you have an awful gap in the hedge around you, and evil things will run in, and ultimately, the second death will run in. And there's only one person who can stand in that gap, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And He'd like to stand in the gap, make up the hedge, be your Savior from your guilt. But you must turn to Him and surrender to Him and put your trust in Him. Believe His claim and rely on Him. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, what is your practice of prayer? Are you giving time to intercession that passages like this uh, point to and warrant? Would God have you to join with the early morning group? And would He have you to get up earlier at home and pray? What about uh, any idols in your life? Have you made an idol of some material thing, uh, of uh, some goal, of someone, some relationship? God calls for consecration. Have you openly taken your stand and identified with the people of God? Christ says, to me. Have you got a gap in the hedge of protection? You've never received a Savior, never trusted Christ, never surrendered to Christ. Do that right now. If you're willing to have a master, willing to try to obey him in his power, Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for offering yourself on Calvary to make atonement for my sin. Lord, I do surrender my will to you as my master, purposing to obey you. And Lord, I trust you to forgive me as a gift and come into my life and make up the hedge for me. Amen.